Hi folks, welcome back to the RLS podcast. We are on episode 27 um, of series two and we are here with Mr. Sam Wardrop. Um, been trying to get Sam on the on the podcast for a while now, but unfortunately he, he pissed off to Brazil for a while. So we had to, we do have to knock it back a little bit, but um, no, good to have him on. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. I think we, we first chatted, was it back in, was it Jan? No, January? I think it was January. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's good to finally jump on your podcast and get stuck into some probably interesting topics for, for your audience and for, for your listeners. Yeah, 100%, mate. And it's, I think if, if someone was coming on to this podcast expecting an open goal-like <clears throat> interview, then you're, you're coming to the wrong podcast. We're going to go from a slightly, slightly more serious than that. Yeah, slightly, <laughs> slightly different direction. We're going to basically speak about... Not Sam as necessarily as a as a footballer. We're going to be speaking more about Sam as a guy and kind of what he's doing now mm-hmm. and why he's in this position. And I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation. But for anyone that actually doesn't know who you are, anyone that's not got TikTok, um, anyone that's not seen your Instagram stuff, um, who are you? A little bit of background on you. Um, so who am I now? I'm not even sure what I would call myself right now. But essentially, I was a professional footballer from the age of 16 up until the age of 23. So that's seven years. Um, and I was at Celtic, Dundee United, Airdrie and Dumbarton. And last October, so we're in, was it now? It's May. So last October, October 2021, I decided to, t- to take a break from football. So I didn't quite retire because I don't feel as though you can retire at the age of 23. It doesn't sound quite right. So took a break. Um, I'm not sure for how long, but basically the reason I took a break was because during lockdown, during COVID, during a few injuries, I'd started to do other things outside of football that I really enjoyed. And essentially, long story short, when I returned to football, I realised that I wasn't getting the same returns from it. I wasn't finding the same level of satisfaction and enjoyment. So I decided, you know what, you know, I spent a year or so thinking about it. I said to myself, let's just try and see how you feel away from football. Um, and that's essentially it. So last October, I stopped playing and I just now... What I do now is a coach, I've got a football coaching business and I make TikToks and some Instagram stuff and I've got a little podcast of my own as well and a kind of small YouTube channel that I just I just have fun with these things. I really enjoy doing them. Um, and that's basically that's a, a brief a brief history of, of Sam Wardrop. Quality, mate. Thank you for that. Um, I think it's, it is going to be an interesting conversation because there's a lot of contrasts between kind of where I am just now as well. Um, through lockdown, obviously having to be forced to take a step away from football and try other things, running, swimming, cycling, um, and then putting a major focus on coaching and kind of doing operating this online business allowed me to kind of realise that I wasn't just solely a part-time footballer. That wasn't just my identity. I could I could be so much more. And that was actually quite fulfilling to find other things to do. So we're kind of going to, going to go on to that, but. What what actually is it that you do now in terms of is is it online coaching in person coaching like what would you say I know you've kind of it's a it's a job title that's hard to describe but what would you say you do there? yeah so essentially what I spend most of my time doing is so I coach online I coach football football players online um, through kind of two programs I've got now the player program and the pre preseason program and essentially it's just what I would deliver in person. I deliver it now um, through different resources online. And it means that no matter where you are located, 
um, you, you can players are able to work with me, and it's been nice because the other side of what I do is as I kind of create. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a content creator, right? Um, or like an influencer. I wouldn't say that. What I try and do is I try and put out educational, inspirational, motivational videos um, on TikTok and on Instagram, and those have, have have kind of reached a lot of people in the UK and Ireland, and some people as well out with, and those people enjoy um, the kind of stuff that I share things that I've learned as a, as a player growing up. And some of those people will then end up working with me. And some of those people might be outside the UK. I had a boy, I think I've had two boys from Australia, um, some boys from as well from parts of Europe who basically couldn't have worked with me any other way. They, they couldn't work with me if I just did in-person stuff. So the, the kind of the, the way I earn money is through coaching um, and the way I kind of, kind of reach an audience is through making TikToks and Instagram stuff and, and to be honest a lot of people probably don't realise you will you'll appreciate it because you post stuff online as well but it is quite time consuming like it's not as if like people will see like a 30 second video or a minute long video and think that you maybe spent I don't know five minutes I, I don't even think a lot of people see anyone that doesn't create stuff for, to post on social media they probably think don't think much of it but it takes a long time. The, the recording is the easy. So if I'm recording a drill, it's the easy bit. But then it's the editing, it's adding subtitles, making sure the dimensions fit, that it's snappy, that it's interesting. Um, so essentially, that's what I spend my time doing, Ryan. I create videos, educational videos, motivational videos. And hopefully, if someone really likes the way I'm kind of communicating, they'll, they'll end up working with me. And I get to share you know, with them what I've learned over the last 10 years being a professional footballer. Yeah, mate, that's that's cool, and I think a lot of people they don't see what goes on gone goes goes on behind the scenes. Um, I've seen mm-hmm. myself sitting there for like an hour, an hour and a half, deleting, changing things, and just mm-hmm. it can become frustrating. And it's people only see the the tip of the iceberg. Um, but, but it's good fun. I, d- yeah. I do like it, and that's for me. That's that's one of the main reasons that I stopped playing football was because I actually enjoyed the stuff that I was doing. I enjoyed making videos. I enjoyed connecting with people from across the UK, outside the UK, enjoyed coaching uh, coaching players online as well. I still actually do. I still coach people in person as well. I've just started up some new gym sessions and I'll do football sessions as well because I think you, you can you can you can coach people completely online, but I feel as though to actually connect with people um, and kind of stay not stay kind of like in tune with what's going on, you have to actually meet people in, in real life, which has been nice. So some of the boys that I've actually coached Online, I've coached in person as well, you know, maybe six months a year down the line, they've came to see me, uh, which is really cool because you get to connect with them. And it's funny seeing seeing them in real life and then seeing them on, online. You've been talking to them for like six months online and you see them in person, but it's nice. Um, but yeah, so, so the main reason I made the transition was because I was actually finding a lot of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction from the direction that I was going in, in terms of the coaching, in terms of kind of making videos and stuff for social media. Yeah, incredible, mate. Um... And the second kind of question I wanted to ask you on this was, obviously with playing professional football, playing part-time football, there's a lot of goals, there's a lot of things to work towards. Um, and when you basically take that away, um, I, I tend to find there needs to be a gap filled. Like I wouldn't just have stopped playing football and not then went and ran, swim, cycle, yeah. challenge myself in some some sort of direction. What have you been able to yeah. replace football with in terms of your own physical kind of um, mm. outputs? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think in particular you're you're probably similar because you're in, you're in the similar line of work, right? But you know, I think guys, especially guys, I don't know, guys that are kind of into sports and stuff like that, they they have to 
they have for me personally anyway I feel as though I always have to have something that I'm kind of striving towards or I, can, I don't like to go set too much but you always like to have an idea of you, in your head of where you're trying to get to or the direction you're trying to go and I think it keeps you focused it keeps you consistent and it makes you feel gives you a bit of purpose as well um, so obviously as you said football at one time for me was like I want to play in, in a first team I want to play every single game this season I don't want to be on the bench once I want to win this I want to win that I want to move on to bigger clubs that that at one stage was was the thought I had in my head and for a lot of football players for, for all football players that's the way they think um, but it's it, it kind of changed for me because I, I probably didn't play much football for two years so I was forced through COVID and my ACL to like find a bit more purpose out with football and that came in my own little project. And my own little project was the coaching business. It was something that I could control. It was something I could set longer term goals for. It was something I could set shorter term goals for. So I was almost forced into finding something else that gave me that purpose and that direction um, through having the kind of injuries and through having or through, through COVID as well. Um, but for me now, you know, I don't like to. I'm, I'm goal driven in a way but I also like to be kind of value driven like the reason I do things um, for example I, I like I want to want to kind of look after my family I want to make them proud that sort of thing so those are like really important foundational values and then that makes it easy to do the things and then on the other end maybe have some personal goals that kind of thing like you know you want to impact a lot of people ultimately you want to make um, money so you can live you know a good life that kind of thing Um and that's that's essentially kind of the way the way I, I kind of see 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 life now. To be honest, I don't know how you feel on, on that kind of thing or how you set yourself goals. Yeah, hundred percent. It's quite similar as well. Like this whole kind of idea of of values was something that was a little bit alien to me, maybe even a year, year and a half ago. And since kind of learning that, it's when you're really clear on your values and what's important to you in life and and where you kind of want to go in life with career, with your family, whatever it is, um, those kind of getting up for that swim, getting up for that gym session, going for that run um, becomes second nature and you, you you don't do it for any particular reason. It's not like, okay, I need to run 5K and sub 20. It's just because you run because it makes you feel good and you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to serve your health, it's going to serve everything else that you want to do with your life. Exactly, exactly. And I think, I think sometimes, I think it's easy to be like too goal-orientated, goal, uh, like, you're just reaching for, you know, if it's football, next contract, more money, um, bigger teams, whatever it is. Um, same out with football, you can be quite goal-orientated and it can sometimes lead you somewhere where you might not even want to be. I mean, to an extent, I, I kind of was football, I was goal-orientated with football. I ended up in a position where I was like, to be honest, I'm not even sure if this is really what, what I want to do or where I want my life or the direction I want my life to go in. Um, so stepping away from, from football and having time to think, through the kind of two, the kind of time period that I had, the one or two years, and then starting, you know, my own business, it allows me more time to think about what what's actually really important to me, um, and I think that just comes with with age as well. Like when you're, there could be some extremely self aware 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds, but for me, I probably only really started to think about like these things when I was like 22, 23 kind of thing. I started to get more kind of focused on. Who, who I wanted to be, type of person I wanted to be how, and how I wanted to live my life and then stop, I, I stopped saying, I stopped doing things that I thought I needed to be or do and I just, you know, just moved towards things that I, that I was comfortable with myself. Yeah, yeah 100%. That's, that's been one of the biggest realisations for me and for a lot of my clients like over the past 
the past year or so is is it's just taking away these taking away these goals and just realizing what's what's really important to you. So, yeah. I mean, this kind of takes us on nicely to the next question, and I think we've we've pretty much already answered why you stopped playing. And um, it's it's yeah. pretty clear we've kind of been over it. But the next kind of thing that relates to that would be identity and yeah. the identity of being a footballer, um, which I think it's actually quite a it's quite a difficult one to really understand. I think when someone asks us the question when we're like 18, 19, 20 and you play football, even if it's professionally semi-pro, you're playing for a pro youth development team, your first answer will be, yeah, I'm a footballer. Like mm. I remember used to do it like when I was on, in Magaluf when I was younger, like a girl would come up to me and say, what do you do? Football. And I wasn't even a footballer, which is the worst <laughs> thing about it. Um, but how have you kind of dealt with shifting well, away well, from well, that well, identity? Well, Nobody would have known. You just played. Nah, exactly. Could have just said I was Sam Wardrop. I <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know it's, it's a big it's a difficult thing for football players because you start playing when you're a really young age and if you do go on and you play professional football when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, like it's the same with I've said it before though when I've had chats with other people like no matter what job you're in if you spend 10 years doing that job it's a, it's a, it is your identity I feel like for some reason with football it's even more so like it's almost like you're, you're boxed into this you're a, you're a footballer and then anything else is it's a bit people are like okay well, but he's a, he's meant to be a footballer why would he do anything else kind of thing but I think I do honestly think it's, start, it's starting to change I know a lot of boys that are playing football but also doing other things and that's that's a big thing for me just now which I'm trying to do is is speak to younger players and say to them, like see players that are like 14, 15, 16, 17 I'm trying to say to them like you're, you're not a footballer you're not a footballer I remember there was a kit man at Celtic that said to me Sam you're not a footballer until you play 50 first team games I don't think I've even I think I've, I've just played 50 first team games right on 24 so that, that shows you like how can I stop start my, my football career has been um, but I, that always stuck with me because I was like, it, once you play 50 games, that's a full season of first team football. And then you can say you're a football player, right? But see, when you're 16 or when you're younger than, essentially when you're younger than 18, okay, unless you broke onto the scene crazy young, I don't think you can you can, you can can rightly call yourself a football player. You can say, yeah, I play, I play football, but you have, to, you have to be realistic and you also have to, you have to do other things with, with your life. So if, if you're a youngster, you have to you have to do, do your schoolwork. You have to finish your schoolwork. Even if you don't like it, you have to finish it because it shows a level of commitment. It shows a level of hard work. And it just shows you a kind of level of standards that you have for yourself. And I think when some young players let themselves, they let themselves down in school because they think they're a footballer. And to me, I'm like, no, nah, that's rubbish. Because if, you, if you're letting yourself down like this, that easy that shows you where your standards could drop to in terms of football in a few years' time. So I've seen players who leave school at 16 and then by 18 or 19, they've also left football and then they've got nothing there. And maybe it's a sign early on that they don't have high standards, but if you're, if you're a teenage footballer, you have to finish your schoolwork. And then after that, when you go into an academy, when you're 18, 19, 20, you have to continue to do, to do stuff. Um, and the best example, you'll know Stuart Armstrong, like he's, he's completely a first-team player. He finished his law degree. I know a um, first-team player at St. Johnson. He's in his late 20s, he might even be 30. He's been doing something. He's, he's got a business running on the side for the last six, seven years. And I'm just like, like those, those guys are guys with high standards. They've got awareness. So I just want young players to realise that, like, one, they can be a football player, but they can, also, they can also have other things going for them as well, you know? 
Yeah, for sure, mate. It's quite funny that you mentioned Stuart Armstrong because I've literally got that written down right there. Yeah, and, but the thing is for me, going back to your, your point of identity, it means when the time comes that you don't play football any longer, whether it be through you finish your career, you're 35, you finish your career, or you're 25 and you've had an injury, or you're 20 and you've been released from your club, you've got no options. If you only identify yourself as a football player, it'll be a struggle to make a transition. But if you keep your kind of options open, if you keep your mind open, the transition will be easier. And I know you get external factors like your parents, friends and family will think you're also a footballer, but just if you think about it in your head and just just make some smart choices and be, be aware, you know? Yeah, amazing, mate. I think obviously with Scotland and the kind of standard that we play in this league, like you can almost live within this gap. Like even if you've played... 20, 30, 40 first team games for any of the teams in the Scottish divisions. Like you're still very much on the periphery of being a year away from being kind of like, shit, what do I do now? Like you could be completely lost 100%. if you don't have that other thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's incredibly important to have something else behind you. And I think as you said, Stuart Armstrong's a great example, played for playing for Celtic week in, week out, and studying with the the open university to get a law degree, which is which is mad. Mm-hmm. Um Am I right in thinking? Am I right in saying as well that you study law as well? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. So I did. I've got one year left of it, but I also I stopped that because I, for the same reasons I took a break from football, I took a break from the law stuff because yeah. I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really finding it uh, fulfilling. But I, w- I will go back to it. Or if I don't, my mum will kill me because I've got six months left in it. I think um, so. I need to finish it. But again, going back to what you touched on earlier, like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just. I wouldn't have stopped playing football and stopped the uni uh, degree if I had nothing else to do because yeah. that would put me in a worse position, right? So I had something else to do, which was the coaching. Um, so it wasn't as if I was, you know, turning off everything and just, yeah, you know, sitting in my house out the window. You know, I had a plan, yeah. and that's what that's important. It's important to have that plan as well. Exactly. I, I don't think I would be speaking to uh, Sam Wardrop right now if he didn't have that backup plan and he just decided he was he was stepping away from football you could where would you have been right now yeah I'm not um, sure I wouldn't even like to think <laughs> no um but yeah that was kind of the next step and you kind of touched on it as well I think people also attach the the kind of the guilt of say managers parents friends family that have solely based you as a footballer and I think this is something that's going on in my head right now as well I obviously as I said to you at the start, I'm looking to take a step away from football this season. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I've got this manager that I've worked with for five plus years. I've got my dad who comes to watch me every Saturday as well. I'm, I'm always holding on to a little bit of guilt from stepping away from football. What would kind of be your advice for someone thinking like that? So I'd, I'd the exact same thing. Like, I mean, th- throughout the years, I've like, to be honest with you, I've had moments where I've thought about leaving football. There's been times where, it's been just, it's been shit, right? And I just, I've, I've been hating it. You know, if I've gone through maybe a couple of months of not playing any games, I'm out of the team. I'm like, is this, I'm like, is this really worth it? Like, who am I, like, why am I still doing it? Why am I putting myself through this? And I said, you know, you could leave, you could you could just go, you know, you could do something else. And then in the back of my mind, that guilt would come in and be like, yeah, but what about this person who did this for you? What about your what about your mum and dad who drove you everywhere? What about, I remember I had a really good school teacher who would take me for extra training in the morning and after school. And I'm like, what about these guys? Like, you're letting them down. And that 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 probably stopped me from leaving at, at, at those points. But then when I did eventually leave, I still had those same thoughts, but I then realized that it's not it's not important about what anyone else thinks. Like you have to just put you have to be selfish and put yourself first. And at the end of the day, right, 
you'll know this as well, all those people that you've listed there, they obviously um, like you, they care a lot about you. And if you're doing it for a positive reason, they're going to be, they're going to support you. They're going to be supportive. And what I say is that the worst, the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is say you do stop playing football, you take six months, 12 months out and whatever you went off to do goes down, like just ends up not working out. Then you just go back and, and, and play and play football again. Like, it's worse off. I think you're worse off staying in something caught in between two ideas um, than actually going and doing one of them and then realizing, okay, this is brilliant. Thank God I did it. Or this is crap. Maybe I should go back and do that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's that guilt and fear that leaves people stuck kind of in between, I think. So I had the same, I had the same feelings. Um, but honestly, the moment I went in and spoke to the manager at Airdrie when I left E. Murray, the moment I went in, the moment I left, I felt like I felt just a huge weight off my shoulders like I, I could breathe again he's been playing on my mind for ages and it's, it is stressful you know yeah no mate that, that's helpful even for, even for myself but I don't think there's there's many people that have been in a, a similar position like yourself that have been able to take anything yeah. away from and admittedly like I'm not just saying this because I'm speaking to you on the podcast but listening to some of your stuff on Instagram and TikTok and when you've spoken about this kind of thing on on podcasts has helped me rationalize the idea a lot more that yeah. I don't need to play football to be to be the man everyone thinks I am. I can I can step yeah. away and just ha- yeah. just as have just as much respect from my peers and everyone else around me. So yeah, mate, that's exactly. that's incredibly helpful. An interesting one as well was when I when I left. Obviously, I was I started my coaching business and it was football coaching, and obviously I was posting stuff on social media and it was football stuff. And it was my wee sister. She's like, Sam, uh, see if you if you leave football, like, will anyone still watch any of your stuff or? like want to be coached by you and I was like listen if they don't want to be coached with me then go and find someone else but I knew because what I was putting out there was good stuff um, that there would still be people there that were interested so you have to back yourself and believe in yourself um, and I took what she said on board but with a, with a pinch of salt she was just asking she's a little bit younger but and it made sense to her um, but these are things these are things that you that some players might think in their heads as well like, if I leave football, will it make me less credible for whatever it is I'm trying to do outside of football? And my answer would be, if you're doing a good job of whatever you're doing outside of football, it doesn't matter if you play or not. Yeah, 100%, mate. I would massively agree. Um, so the next thing would be, and something I basically want to touch on, because you've obviously played in the full-time setup and the part-time setup. What would you say the main differences are, obviously, other than other than the obvious, of people having to work at the same time as well? And what's your experience with working with like full-time athletes, footballers against part-time footballers? Yeah. I mean, well, the kind of, the biggest thing is that the the full-time players, everyone's getting paid money to live 24-7 like an athlete, right? Um, So everyone lives more like an athlete and lives more like a footballer. Whereas when you're part-time, you're not getting paid full-time to live like a footballer or, or live like an athlete. So, not everyone does and it's not because they don't want to but it's because they can't because they have to go and work and they have to go and work night shifts they have to go and work maybe some some tough jobs during the day then train at night and so that's the that's the biggest difference and it's not it's not for any fault of the the players it's just through finance and through time part-time players can't do what full-time players do and if full-time players are but part-time players do they wouldn't be playing full-time for very long probably um but it's just it's just the way it is the biggest thing it's easy like when you're when you're part-time you have to take on a lot more responsibility 
Um, that's 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 the biggest thing for me. And I actually, I, I I kind of got that experience early on. It about what age was I? I think I was nineteen. I went, for, I was at Celtic, and I went on loan to Dumbarton, and I was still full time at Celtic, but I was part time at Dumbarton because I trained part time at Dumbarton. It meant my training was I, I, I couldn't exactly slot back into training at Celtic because. They might be training on a Tuesday morning, but I'd be training Tuesday night, so I wouldn't train Tuesday morning with them. So yeah, I had nothing on Monday, but maybe they had a day off on Monday. So that was my first experience of having to be extremely independent, you know, go and kind of source, uh, look from look for the best foods to eat, um, fit them with my schedule. Um, I had to go up and do some pitch sessions myself. I had to go up and do the gym sessions myself. And that might sound like, well, that's, that's normal, but a full-time football normally that's all done for you. So that was the first time in my life when I was like 18, 19, where I had to be really responsible and try and figure out the best week. The, the, I had to put together the best week I, had, I could possibly make for myself, put myself in the best condition possible for my game on Saturday and for my training sessions. So the biggest difference is for me is just the independence and responsibility you have to take on as a part-time player. Um, it's, it's far greater than as a full-time player. Really, that that's the biggest difference, I think. But also, you'll know yourself. Like, you'll get guys at part time level who will take care of themselves really, really well, um, and there'll be guys that don't. And at the end of the day, like they don't, they don't have to. They're 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 getting paid part time to be there, you know. Yeah. Now, there's a fine example of that at the weekend. I'm not going to out anyone, but we actually <laughs> won a pretty big cup game with a couple of guys that were out to the, the early hours of the morning. And to be fair, they played I, very well. Some people can do it. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, man. I've got a couple of mates who can do it, but not not for me. I'm too, I'm too, I rely too much on my kind of physical attributes, and I feel like uh, if I was out the night before, even two nights before, it would affect me. But everyone's no, different. You get some, yeah. you get some superhumans, don't you? Exactly, man. I'm I'm carb loading. I've got my hydration on point. I'm stretching, mobility, and then we've got some guy that just turns up straight out the boozer, and I'm like, how how in the world have you managed to run about for ninety minutes in the scorching heat? But it's probably one of classes, very good actually. Admittedly, That's bad. Um, so yeah, mate, we've we've kind of touched on the whole idea about um part time versus full time, um, and basically my program is essentially fills in that gap um i'm not plugging my program just kind of giving a little bit of context but plug your program <laughs> well it's essentially the nine to five athlete so it's just the athlete that now wants to basically yeah work a part-time job play a sport attempt a, a marathon or run or whatever it is a triathlon um, and it's taken them from Again, you'll, you'll know these kind of people, like they're working part-time, they're overworked, they're knackered, but they're tr- still trying to show up for their family, still trying to show up um, yeah. in their sport. And one thing or another is kind of lacking. And there's usually it's, it's usually because they're all in one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. And it's allowing them to now kind of do the things that you were talking about, um, getting the, the right nutrition, getting the right training and trying to balance that alongside a social life and dealing yeah, it's with tough. kids and stuff like that. It's, not, it's certainly not easy, but... Um, it's a very fulfilling kind of um, journey to take a client on um, and to get them mm-hmm. to almost mirroring that that full-time athlete without obviously the the dedication that's required. Yeah, and without it impacting on those other areas of their life, you know? Because at the end of the day, it's, it is tough having to balance a job, train, train whatever you need to do training-wise for your for your sport and then also try and eat well, but then also see your friends, your family and socialize. It's tough. It's a tough one to, full-time players have got it 
easier. I mean, they, they, they're just in the morning, just a little bit of the afternoon, and then they've got more time to chill out and do all that family stuff. Whereas your part-time player is working all day, aren't they? And then it's yeah. like, right, where, where are my windows to fit all this stuff in? Yeah, no, 100%. I think it would be interesting to take a kind of... Sorry, on you go. No, on you go. Yeah, as I was just saying, it would be quite interesting to take a look into what the guys at Arbroath were doing this season. Like, how much did they have, like, nutrition dialed in? How much did they have their training dialed in? Because something was obviously going seriously right there from a bunch of part-time kind of athletes, and it would be interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, though, you know what it's like, football, like, momentum goes a long way as well and that confidence so I'd, I'd imagine there'll be a good a good few of them that look after themselves very very well um, but that's what you find as well at part time you get you get a real mix you get guys that are you get everything on point you get guys that are maybe a little halfway there and then guys that are just you know they're probably exceptional at football um, and they can just turn up and, and still and still put in a, a decent shift but touching on your your program and stuff like that one, one of the things I think is important as well for that I always say to any players that work with me is that like sometimes they they try and do too much. They try and do everything. And I'm like, listen, sometimes it's better to do like two or three things throughout the week really, really well. And then not try rather than trying to do eight, nine or 10 things throughout the week and you do them like bang average and then you're leaving yourself exhausted or breaking down injury wise or just, you know, just wiped out. Yeah. You must see that all the time, but um, young athletes and young footballers are just exceptionally keen to to be doing yeah. more and more and more and more. I know when I was yeah. like 18, 19, I was playing for the uni team, playing for an under-20s team and playing for a junior team all in the same week. <laughs> and I was just normalising <laughs> that, but that's that's not normal. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? It's mad. But I feel like at that age, you can kind of get away with it, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, there was I think a plantar fasciitis, but that's to... it. <laughs> I'm starting to reach the end of my... My, 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 the age where I could just do everything, you know, you could go mad, mad training sessions, you could do extra stuff, smash the gym, but you just have to be, I think as well, I mean, I spoke to, you, you might know Jimmy McCart, plays with St. Johnson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I spoke to him a while ago on my podcast and he was saying to he was basically saying to me, and I, I know because I saw him do it, but he did like so much when he was 17, 18, 19, 20 at Celtic and it wasn't until he left and he went and moved on to Inverness and stuff that he realised that he was just overtraining himself. Um, and he was he was burning out in games and stuff like that. But at the time, he thought, now nah, you know what? This, this sports side, he's telling me to stop because he doesn't want me to go to the next level. Or my teammates are telling me to calm down because they don't, they, they don't want to see me go to the next level kind of thing. And then he was like, nah, wait, hold on a sec. <laughs> like, I was doing far too much. So it's, it's sometimes just known as an athlete and a young player, like, when to do less. And sometimes less is better. Yeah, it's always it's always a shock to, to any kind of athlete that gets told to do less and then they actually carry it out and they're like, I've actually gotten better, I've gotten fitter by just sitting at home doing doing next to nothing. Yeah, so I know. I know it needs to be done. Um but yeah, mate, just wanted exactly. to kind of exactly. step on to your kind of coaching programs and allow you to kind of plug what it is exactly you do in a little bit more detail um with the, the pre preseason and the, the player program. So my pre-pre-season program, I just launched that. Um, when did I launch that? Was well, start of May, and essentially it's a five. It's just a five-week uh, off-season program for footballers. Pitch fitness sessions, football fitness sessions, um, strength work in the gym, power in the gym, core in the gym, mobility in the gym. So like all all the physical aspects players need to kind of take them through that off-season, but not 
to the point where they're like match fit because I always say to players you don't want to go back to pre-season match fit because that's what pre-season is for you still want to have a little bit left in the tank you want to be sitting at like 80 to 90 percent of your kind of peak fitness so you can go back in last bit of top up and then you feel fantastic you know when the season starts um so that's the kind of that's the pre-season program it's a little bit more more remote so players don't have to you know stay in constant constant contact with me it's for the players that like just having a structure and they can go off and do it and work away because when i was a player if someone gave me something to do i would go off and do it like like to to a t kind of thing i didn't need like didn't always need that constant communication and conversation so that's the pre preseason programs for players like that. Whereas the player program, it's a lot more hands-on. So, you know, I build a really strong relationship with the player. Essentially, we kind of become we kind of become friends over the course of the, the program. Um, I get to know them, I get to know their lifestyle and what they're what they're trying to do. So some players are trying to move up in the football ladder, some of them are just trying to, you know, perform at the level they're at. Um, and some of them are actually just you know, they don't play football for any reason other than they enjoy it and they just want to get fit through a football programme, you know. Um, so that's the two programmes, the player programme and the pre-season programme. And essentially everything that I've kind of self-taught myself, picked up along the years, taken from sports scientists, all these clubs and stuff, um, that's essentially what I've kind of packaged up in these programmes. Yeah, there's there's certainly a, a gap in, in the market for it and I'm sure you've found that because I think you'll maybe not say it yourself but you have really kind of taken over this this gap in the in the market there there was there wasn't really a a program for for footballers i mean there's a hell of a lot of online coaching going on but there's not necessarily like a football yeah. specific one that's that's doing what you're doing so it's uh it's taken over me and it's it's clear to see um yeah I suppose, I suppose for me, that was probably like when I was at, when I was growing up as well. Like I would always be trying to look online for for stuff to follow, and there's a couple of like there's a couple of websites and pages I came across, but it wasn't there wasn't like a person behind them. It was like it was like it was like a company, and you never really had any conversation with the pair. You didn't know who the hell you were buying it from, and you didn't know who it was coming from, and it was just quite like okay, here's a website that says it's for footballers, buy this and go off and do that. Whereas I was like, there's like, why is there no one that's really kind of connecting with players on a, on a deeper level, getting to know them, getting to know exactly what, what they need, that kind of thing. I mean, there's, there's one other guy, you've probably seen him on Instagram. Uh, I spoke to him before, Eric. Um, he's called Rick Fit on Instagram. He's He he's actually knows his stuff. He's pretty good. He's an American guy. He, he, tra- he travels kind of all around Europe and plays football in Europe. Um, and he kind of coaches, does football coaching as well online. And he's probably one of the one of the guys that I've found who posts like stuff that's actually decent. You know, it's not just like some random like I don't know running drill or ab workout. That just it gets a lot of likes. But I'm like, who the hell? I'm like, you're not even doing this yourself. Yeah. Looking at some of the guys that post stuff. But yeah, there, what, there's definitely. I th- to be honest, mate, I think there's there's space in the market for anything that. It delivers quality and adds value to people's life, you know. Yeah, for sure, mate. I think uh, the the phrase kind of people by people is uh, is quite evident here. Like if you can put a face to a football program uh, like yourself, yeah. then people are gonna are gonna buy into it, and and they certainly have. So, little thing I want to touch on was your your trip to Brazil. Um, yeah. Obviously, it's, it could probably be quite a long story, and I'm sure there's loads of different things that went on there. Um, but mate, how was that? Why why Brazil in the first place? Why did you want to go there? 
Um, so basically, I've always wanted to do a bit of travelling, but I've never been able to because of football. So I've always been, um, you know, tied down to like a one week holiday, a 10 day holiday since I was 15. And I'm now 24. So for the last nine years, I've been in this very regimented kind of like yearly annual cycle where I play football all year. And then for three, three weeks in May slash early June, I get a couple of weeks off. Um, so when I decided to stop playing, I kind of maybe took two or three weeks and I thought to myself, you know what, Sam, you don't book this now. You're never going to do it. So one day I just woke up, jumped on, on Google, had a look around and I wanted to do something that was slightly organised. I didn't want to just go off my own with a backpack. I wanted some, because I was going to go myself, I wanted something that was slightly organised and had a little bit of kind of meaning and stuff behind it. So I found this organisation called IVHQ, International Volunteer HQ. And quite simply, the only reason I used them is because their website looked like legitimate. Whereas others just look like <laughs> you pay money and then nothing ever happens, right? So yeah. found this website. I looked at the different programs they ran. They ran hundreds of programs all over the world. I was looking at ones in Africa, um, but to be honest, in terms of like all the injections and stuff that you needed to get, like you know vaccinations, South America was kind of like reasonably kind of mild from in that sense. I had to get a couple of vaccinations, but there was nothing major. I wanted to avoid having to take malaria tablets and stuff because. I know they can have some side effects and I couldn't really be bothered with that. So that was one of the reasons I chose. But another reason was they had a football programme in Rio, in the favelas. And I was like, that's going to be unbelievable um, to actually see that kind of thing in person. So I booked it all. I had to, so it wasn't um, the volunteering programme itself. I had to pay for it. And you paid for basically to turn up. You paid for your kit, the three or four weeks um, your placement. You also paid, covered your accommodation and they covered your breakfast for four weeks, which was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good value for money. And that was essentially it. I spent, I spent four weeks in Brazil. No, I spent six weeks in Brazil, four weeks in, four weeks in Rio. I then uh, went off for four, for, yeah, for four weeks, traveled more of Brazil. I then went over to Peru, did the Inca Trail, and then I spent my last two weeks in Brazil in Rio so I started in Rio for four weeks finished in Rio for, for two weeks and in between kind of moved around Amazon south of uh, Brazil and Peru as well and it was honestly mate it was it was unbelievable it was one of the, it's one of the best it's the best one of the best experiences I've had in my life the people you meet the things you see experiences you have like some of the stuff it's not even worth describing because one you could you have to just it's one of these Rio in particular is one of these cities where you have to be there to actually like see and feel just how kind of crazy it is, like the energy, the kind of the, the, the kind of the scale of like like incredibly poor people to like the kind of incredible wealthy people. It was it was unbelievable the kind of difference, um, and also just generally the kind of diversity in the culture. Like so many different people there, it's insane because they've got a lot of European influence from pretty much every European country um, over in Brazil. So the, and the last thing was nobody spoke any English at all. The, the odd person spoke English, which is, which is normal because it's a, Brazil, it's a Portuguese speaking country, but I had, I had the most amazing time out there. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked amazing. And I remember when you, when you first went over, I think you're be a little bit apprehensive about kind of like the, the thing you hear about Rio and the favelas and stuff like that, like people robbing you, but did you, did you find any of that or was it pretty, pretty reasonable? Uh, so I would say, honestly, in comparison to Scotland, the UK, it's extremely dangerous. Like, and as a comparison, but after four weeks there, I felt completely safe. 
because you know where not to go, you know who not to look at, you know what not to do, you don't go out with your watch on, you don't go out with your phones in, in, in some places, okay, but when you're in some of the nicer areas, it's fine, it's just it's the same as parts of Europe, right? So you just have to be street streetwise, don't be an idiot, like, there was, the, the bad stories came from guys that um, were maybe, hadn't, didn't buy money belts, didn't put their phones in their, in their money belts, would go out at night by themselves, that was one thing you would never do, but some people did it, stupidly, that's when you would have issues, um, or there was boys getting like absolutely wrecked and then they would go out and start kind of causing a bit of bother and there was guys that ended up getting you know like and they used to, they, they would get robbed they would get battered a couple of guys ended up in the hospital but those are, those were the guys that were just being like you, you wouldn't even do it at home never mind no. in real you know yeah. so as long as you, I had a lot of messages just people saying is it safe like is, is it safe is it as bad as, as it's made out to be and I, 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 I was the same as them before I went. But when you go, it's honestly, it was, it was fine. I had, I had zero issues the full time, no issues at all. And even in the last week, I was staying pretty much in a favela. Um, and no, no, one, no one bothers you, nothing at all. Yeah, mate. I, th- I think travelling in general is something that everyone, if they can, should give a go. Like I went to Australia a couple of years back and like it is incredibly eye-opening. Obviously, you have basically playing full-time football most of your life like you, you almost forget like there's this there's this other side to the world there's so much more to see um and yeah as i said i did the east coast How of long you spend australia there? um a full year actually um nice. based based in sydney and then did like up the coast new zealand um and yeah just like totally eye-opening and when you stay in these like kind of hostels and stuff like that you just like you be in a hostel and you've got like someone's swedish someone's german someone's French like you just get a total kind of diverse amount of people to speak to and it's it's I would honestly recommend yeah. everyone gets out and just does something like that it's so cool though. like see, see see being able to meet all these kind of different people for me that was one of the best bits mm-hmm. but like meeting all the kind of different people from all over Europe like that was just parts of Europe, different parts of the world for me that was one of the kind of special bits of it the people that you meet yeah 100 percent, mate it's um it's an incredible experience and i think i think everyone should do it um but yeah mate moving on to kind of the last few questions if you want to go through the a little bit of a quick fire round um we've chucked in a few generic football questions oh, yeah. in here. i'm not i'm not gonna lie um so next holiday oh, destination you might have killed me man i Next holiday okay. destination, where next are you going holiday next? holiday destination. Okay, I'm going to Malaga in Spain. Okay. Um, toughest opponent you've played against? My toughest opponent that I've played against would be, unfortunately, um, the, the, the hardest game I had was when I was maybe... I think I was about seven, 16 or 17 at Celtic and we went over to play Ajax um, at their academy and we get absolutely destroyed. Like, they were unbelievable. They were all, like, they were all rapid. They were all so strong. They were all, like, unbelievable at football. Um, there was one boy in the wing called, I think he was called Cherney. I don't know where, he's, where he is now, but there was another boy they had. You might have heard the story. He was called Nuri. Um, and unfortunately, he had I think he had some I don't know if it was a brain tumor or something, and he collapsed. And I think he's I think he's he's actually you know suffered quite badly as a result. But 
he was he was honestly magical with the football at his feet. Like he was just having fun as well. So some of so for me, some of the hardest opponents were, were when I was younger, and you would play some of these like European top European sides, and they were just like physically and technically superior. Um, so those were probably some of my the tougher games. Yeah, I honestly thought you were going to say some uh, player up at Station Park in Forford, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was trying to rack my brains for a Scottish player. I was trying to rack my brains for a Scottish player. I might come back to you and give you a Scottish player if I can think of one. Um, so the second, well, next question would be best kind of teammate, most talented teammate that you've played with. Most talented teammate. That's it. I've, I've played, with, I've played with some good players. I played with some good players. Um, I mean, the, the most talented player that I played with closely that's done the best um, is, is Kieran Tierney, obviously down at Arsenal. Um, he, like, like as, as a group, in terms of who I've played with, he's he's outperformed everyone. But at the time, though, when I was younger, the best the best player that that was probably it was probably Nisbet. Um, and he'll absolutely if he ever if he listens to this he'll love me saying that yeah, so you see anything I say to him like you're a good player but he just gets a big smile on his face he's like a big kid <laughs> but he yeah. was he was he was he was brilliant he was really really uh, really good but technically unbelievable yeah he was always pretty impressive anytime we kind of watch you guys up at Station Park mm-hmm. um, favourite food favourite food is it's pretty, it's pretty boring. It's Italian food. I just love pizza. And, I love carbs. I love pizza and pasta. We need carbs, mate. We need carbs. Um, <laughs> and then least favourite exercise. Someone's chucking you an exercise in your programme. What's the one that you do not want to see? Bicep curls. Bicep curls. Bicep curls. Load of push. <laughs> Come on now. We need bicep curls to be good at football, surely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely killed you. You've got bicep curls in everyone's programme, don't you? Oh, I've got loads <laughs> of them, mate. Absolutely loads of them. Um, <laughs> flip side, oh, favourite exercise? Favourite exercise because if anyone's ever seen um, my lower body or my cast in particular, they'll see that they're chunky. So I just, and strong, I just find lower body exercises like easy to do. So I, I've got to say I love squats. Barbell, barbell back squats, my favourite. Standard quality mate well i think that's us pretty much come to the to the end of the podcast but i wanted to ask you to plug your podcast because i know a lot of people if they enjoyed this podcast will will definitely enjoy yours yeah well so my podcast can be found on spotify apple podcast youtube call it's called the sam ward well on spotify and apple podcast it's called the sam wardrop show but on youtube it's just sam wardrop and if they want to hear more 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 traveling stories um they can, they can, I just put one up the other day. They can listen to that on there. But thank you, mate. It's been a pleasure. Not a problem, mate. And one last question What's next for, for Sam Wardrop? What's next this year? What's the plans in the future? Maybe, maybe a return to for football? Me, uh, um, not this year. Not this year. I had a couple of clubs asking me to go and play, but I want to give, I want, similar to yourself, I want to take a year, because only took maybe six months there. I want to take a full year out of just focusing on the things that I really want to do with my life. And then in six months and 12 months time, review it and then get back to the drawing board. That's it, mate. Sounds perfect. Um, Well, no, mate, I love that conversation. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I appreciate your time. And yeah, I'm sure I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.